Welcome to Miyagi Mornings Weekly Recap, a podcast version of our daily video series, Miyagi Mornings. Links to the video version of each segment can be found in the show notes for this episode. These recap episodes are part of the Survival Podcast feed, but are numbered independently as a special weekly edition of our show in all podcast feeds. How's revenge? Daniel San, you look revenge that way. Start by digging to a grave. Walk right side, safe. Walk left side, safe. Walk middle, sooner or later, get the squish just like grape. Well, hello there, guys and gals. Welcome to uh, Miyagi Mornings, episode six. We finished our first week, and things seem to go pretty well. I put out uh, the Miyagi Mornings recap podcast on Saturday. Got a lot of great feedback on that for people that maybe don't really want to watch videos and uh, would prefer to listen to the podcast form. And again, for those of you that are watching the videos or listen to the podcast and are thinking, man, I'd really like to share some of this stuff with friends or family or whatever, but I don't think they're ready for an hour and a half podcast, send them one of these six to eight minute videos. So today what I want to talk to you about in Miyagi Mornings is the value of land. And not from a standpoint of it like a direct investment. Like real estate is a good investment. We'll talk about that in the future, I'm sure. I'm talking about the value of land as a homesteader, where you can do things like you see behind me here with this beautiful backyard pond and these gardens. And this little garden area here that's uh, it's just really not very big. It would fit in most suburban backyards. Uh, some suburban backyards, it might take up most of the backyard, but it would fit in most suburban backyards. produces more food than my wife and I can actually consume. Right now we're deciding what to store, what to give away, and what to feed the chickens at the end of our season, or at the end of our, our winter, or I'm sorry, our summer, fall season anyway, as we go into winter production with different crops. Um, that type of thing. And what I really want to talk to you about today is we're heading into Thanksgiving. Right? So we're heading into Thanksgiving. This is where we get all this nostalgic talk about how the pilgrims came here so they get to have religious freedom and all. And, and they did. Uh, that's certainly that particular colony that's famous for Thanksgiving is uh, is well known for the fact that religious freedom was a big part of their motivation. But it wasn't their own motivation. And, you know, the the people that came here on the Mayflower are not the people that built America. There's some of the people that survived that first winter anyway that, that helped to build America. But thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people came here from other places throughout you know our colonial period up until our revolution, and then continued to come thereafter. They came here not so much for religious freedom, but for freedom, freedom, to have freedom. And one thing that was more free about the United States at this particular time in history than just about anywhere else in the world was that an individual could own land. In fact, it was only due to slavery that the words were changed from life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, to life, liberty, and property, a la John Locke. That was the original statement, life, liberty, and property. And we knew, you know, the founders knew that this could cause some problems when they were trying to unify 13 colonies with different opinions on slavery and humans being property. But life, liberty, and property, the right to own something and have it be yours. This is something that because most of the world today, you can own a piece of land or you can own some things and they are yours. They might be taxed, but they are yours. We've lost track of how important it was at the time that this country was founded or this area was settled by people from outside of it that property rights were recognized. If you lived in England 
at the time of the you know like the 1600s that we're talking about 16 and early 1700s and you were a commoner it was impossible for you to own land you might be able to be some sort of farmer or agriculturist raising sheep or something leasing land from a monastery or from the king or using lands of the commons but you couldn't have your own piece of land you couldn't have have 40 square acres of dirt for damn sure but people could come to this country and they could work really really hard almost slave like in the cities and towns with whatever they could hustle but they could save up some money over a year or two head a little bit further west and own something that was their own and that's why they came here this is the most american thing in the founding of our, our when people talk about traditional values is the right to property today many people think that they own their home but they don't and i'm not just talking about the leverage debt against it i'll let that go for this discussion I'm talking about they live in a place where you can spit out one window and hit one neighbor's house, spit out the other window and hit another neighbor's house, spit over the back fence and hit your other neighbor in the head. You don't have any land. You live in a place where you have an HOA and some Karen with blue hair can tell you you're not allowed to plant that particular plant in your front yard or your car is too old to be in your driveway. It has to go in your garage. You don't own land. I can keep going, but you get the point. You don't own land. This is why I've been advising people for a very long time, long before the cities were on fire, get out of the cities. And I don't mean go out in the middle of nowhere. I am only about 45 minutes, actually 30 minutes from downtown Fort Worth right here. But I'm just far enough that nobody bothers me. I'm in an unincorporated part of the county. I don't really have a city or a town that I live in. The only thing that you need a permit here to do anything about is when you build a house, you need a septic permit, and then they never come back ever, ever again. I don't even have building codes. So when I want to put in a chicken coop, I put in a chicken coop. When I want to put in an aviary like the one behind me, I put in an aviary. When I wanted to put in a greenhouse... I put in a greenhouse. Why? This is my land. This is my property. I get to run it the way that I see fit. And until I do something that harms my neighbors, it's nobody's business. In fact, if one of the neighbors didn't like what I was doing, but I wasn't actually harming them, and they called the sheriff's department, the sheriff's department would say, we don't do that. I've already talked <laughs> to the local deputies for the area. That's their response to the stuff like complaints about you know, junk in a yard or they don't like the way the grass looks. Or we don't, sorry, we don't do that. And what I'm suggesting is when you have land like that, then you can feed your family. And this is what I'm looking for in a piece of land. One, I want to basically be able to do what I want. Number two, it needs to be shaped right. A half acre is a pretty big piece of land if it's a square. It's a pretty small piece of land if it's a narrow rectangle or some kind of weird hexagon or something like that where it's hard to actually utilize the land. So you don't have to have a huge piece of land. If you want to get 300 acres, God bless you, go for it. I, I, I love that. I mean, I wish I had 300 acres. But three wears my ass out. And I do most of what I do on about an acre of ground. An acre of ground is kind of a sweet spot, but anything above a third of an acre, and then at least have some trees around you and not be right adjacent to your neighbors and be able to do the things that you want to do. Then make your land productive, make it so that it produces something for you. We call this going from home to homestead. People think of their homes as an asset. If your home doesn't produce anything, it's a liability. If all it is is a hole into which you throw mortgage and tax money every month and it gives you nothing back other than four walls and a roof, you're nothing but a renter on the bank's land. When the land produces for you, when your home produces for you, then you've got something. Then look at energy efficiency and energy production and energy backup. We can't get into that today, but minimum a generator and a battery backup system, and then start looking toward putting your own solar in and things like that. I can't do it where I'm at because they said that's why you're in the wrong place. That's why I'm telling you to get out, okay? They've made off-grid living illegal. No, the town told you you can't have a solar panel or you can't disconnect from the grid. I don't even want to disconnect from the grid. But I sure as hell want the right to generate my own electricity. Then get some livestock. you know. And I'm not even saying in this order, right? Livestock of some sort 
But here's the biggest thing, and the reason I want you to get out of the cities. What good does it do you if you can create this like homestead in the city type situation, but you're a novelty and nobody else is doing it? You'll never produce everything that you need, and you damn sure will never produce everything that you want. The way that we make this work is we form networks and communities where, hey, I don't have time for rabbits, but I get a neighbor that's taking care of rabbits. And that neighbor gives me some rabbit meat and some manure for my garden. And I give them some duck eggs and maybe some production for my garden. This is the way things work. Let me tell you something. They say that, na- that America was a nation of farmers. That is way too limiting to understand what America was because we could own property in America. America was a nation of entrepreneurs. Farming was just the primary means of entrepreneurship, and every farmer had other things that they did to both earn money or to create barter value. That's the real value of land. And if where you're living, you can't participate in that, you don't own your land. Your land owns you. With that, hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'll catch up to you tomorrow with another one. Well, good morning, folks, and welcome to episode 7 of Miyagi Mornings. Uh, Remember, I do these little short videos so you can have things to share with family and friends who might not be ready for one of my one-hour to one-and-a-half-hour podcasts. But if you like podcasts and you like this sort of thing, you might really enjoy my podcast, The Survival Podcast. You can find it at tspc.co. Been around for 12 years, two-time winner of Podcast of the Year Award, about a quarter million listeners, so we're doing something right. Anyway, I want to talk to you today about something that I, you know, I try to do these as very non-political. Some people may see this as political. This is not political, though. This is about right and wrong. This is about understanding what's being done to you, your children, your parents, your friends, people you, you love, etc. By the tech tyrants like Facebook and Twitter. I'm going to specifically zero in on Facebook today, but this applies to Twitter as well, and a lot of things that Google does. So, I have been asking people to leave Facebook and Twitter for a long time now, several months at least. I have said it's a good idea for years, but I stuck around because, what did I always say? Same thing many of y'all say. My friends and family are there, but for me more, my market's there. The people that listen to me are there. I need to communicate with them where they want to communicate with me. And eventually I thought about something. Leaders lead. That means you go first. You can't be a leader and say, like, when when enough of my followers go over here, I'll go over here. You're not a leader then. You're just a follower pretending to be a leader. But it's bigger than that. I want you to understand what Facebook actually does to you as far as your data And Mark Zuckerberg is basically a digital pimp, and you are a whore as far as he's concerned. I don't think you are. I'm telling you what he thinks of you, because that's what you are. You are used to make money. Facebook is an inherently addictive program. If you would watch a documentary, it's on Netflix, which surprises me, called The Social Dilemma, you would see exactly how you're being manipulated. But think of it this way. You have a pimp, Zuckerberg, and his entourage. You have... The whores that are being pimped out and whored, that's everybody using Facebook. Companies and individuals alike. And Facebook itself is your digital heroin that they keep you addicted to so that you'll stick around and you won't get cleaned up and go live your life the way that you want to live it. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. Now, exactly what are you doing as a digital whore for Mark Zuckerberg? How does he cash in on you? Well, I think most people are aware by now that he collects... Everything you say and do on Facebook. And then he sells that information either directly or indirectly through advertising to corporations. And then I think people maybe do not realize that he also reports anything and everything the government wants about everybody on Facebook to the government. 
And that is absolutely 100% verifiable. And if you want to go down that road and do it for yourself, fine. I'm just telling you it happens. But here's what many people don't know. You think that only applies to what you do on Facebook. You would be wrong about that. I'm going to stick to computers and browsers today. But just assume that everything that I say about this applies to your cell phone and maybe even more so when you're using an app. When you're on Facebook, you go to Facebook and you do your diddly-do stuff and you share your information and you do or do not go to Facebook jail depending on what you, what you shared. Well, then what happens next is you leave Facebook, maybe even close that, that window or that tab in your browser, and you go trucking around the rest of the Internet doing all kinds of things. And Mark Zuckerberg, your pimp, is still tracking you, and he knows you'll be back to check in for your digital heroin. How is this done? This is done through things that are implanted on your computer and deep tracking through partnerships with other websites. If you doubt this, then I encourage you to do something if you're not going to leave Facebook. At least confine your major Facebook activities to your computer. Use the Firefox browser or a similar browser that helps protect your privacy. And install an extension into it, which is really easy and really quick to do, and you can Google if you don't know how, that will protect your privacy when you're not on Facebook. So at least only your shit's being tracked and recorded and sold on Facebook. Um, there is a one for Firefox called Facebook Container. When I do my little trolling drive-bys on Facebook right now, I'm using Facebook Container. And as soon as I'm done with them, I log out of Facebook. Those two things together are the only way to ensure that when you're not on a completely different website, that all your data is still not being fed to Facebook, where your digital pimp, Mark Zuckerberg, is selling your shit. If you doubt me, do this for me. Go to Google and search for Facebook Container Extension for Firefox. Then look at that extension and see what it does. Now, here's the thing you know. You're driving along, and you can't see what's under it yet, but you look off in the distance, and you see rising up from the road a large bridge. Guess what you know? There's either a river, or a lake, or a ravine, or a housing development, or something. There's a reason for that bridge. Unless the government's just looking to piss away extra money, which occasionally happens, yeah, but usually they'll put in guardrails along something that's not there or something like that. You don't build a bridge unless there's something to go over. Okay? You don't build an extension that prevents a technology from tracking your activities off their website unless they're tracking your activities off their website. So let me tell you the number one objection I get to leaving Facebook right now. A couple of them. One, I don't really care about politics. I didn't talk to you about politics. I really didn't talk to you about censorship today. Censorship is wrong, whether it's political or otherwise, but let's just put that on the shelf today. The other one is, but my friends and my family are all there. Okay, great. So what you're saying is, you are going to make it easier for the people you love to stay addicted to digital heroin while Mark Zuckerberg and his ilk do all this shit to them because you don't want to lead and you don't want to go first. Because what you're telling me is, well, if my family left, I'd go where they are. Someone has to go first. Someone has to man up. Someone has to grab themselves and make sure, hey, I really am what I think I am and go for it. What do you think you're doing? Climbing over the Berlin Wall and getting shot at with machine guns? You're deleting an app and starting a new life in another digital wilderness. It ain't easy at first. You're a pioneer. The life of the pioneer is lonely. You may end up with an arrow or two in your back. But you also get something called first mover advantage. 
I can tell you firsthand, these platforms are exploding. I have close to 5,000 followers on MeWe already. I have over 5,000 followers on Parler already. And people are migrating there every single day. Specifically MeWe, for you Facebook folks, I'm watching the number of people connected me on MeWe go up on an average of 75 to 150 people a day. I'm not pushing the hell out of it on my show or anything like that. All I'm doing is letting people know where I'm at. That is a massive number. I am not huge on social media. I am much bigger as a podcaster than I am as a social media personality. If I'm seeing those kinds of numbers, this trend is real. And what that means is if you're a business, etc., or a brand, this is where the momentum is on the exit from these tech tyrants. And the more people become familiar with what's going on and understand some of the things I told you about today, the more they're going to leave. So go there now. Now, if you are a business or you're using Facebook Marketplace or something like that, it's making you money, install the damn protective extension. Go do that stuff on Facebook, okay? And only do that on Facebook. And if you're worried about your friends and family, look at their pages, but don't comment, don't interact. And if you see something going on you want to talk to them about, send them an email, send them a text message. Don't use Facebook Messenger for that. Take your conversations with your customers as quickly as possible off the Facebook. So, yes, engage with them there and say, hey, can I, how do I get a hold of you? What is your email address? What is your phone number? And then say, from now on, please use this means of communications. Because until then, Facebook's between you and your customer. For the rest of you, if you really care about the family you're so worried about on Facebook, be a leader, not a follower. Go first. Find a new home. Tell them where you're at. Don't ignore them, but tell them if they really want to engage with you in a social media way. You're going to do it in a place where their privacy and their rights are respected. That's it for this episode of Miyagi Mornings. We will catch you later. Hey, guys and gals. Today we uh, continue on with Miyagi Mornings. I think this is episode 8. Seems right. We'll figure it out when we write the title in, but it should be episode 8. And uh, these are daily short videos on different various preparedness items and philosophical items and homesteading items and all types of things devoid of only one thing, actual politics, as in picking a side. So I am open to anything and any discussion that you can come up with that you think I might be helpful with on Miyagi Mornings. You can just email me, jack at survivalpodcast.com. Let's get into today's subject. This one did not come from a listener to the podcast or a viewer of the videos. This one is uh, from me personally because of something that happened last night. So last night, we sat in the house and a phone alert went off from Fox 4 weather alerts and severe thunderstorm warning for Northwest Tarrant County. Okay, cool, whatever. Severe thunderstorm warning. As long as there's no vortexes of death going on, eh, okay, eh, we'll see what happens. 65 mile an hour winds. Yeah, we call that Tuesday around here. No big deal. And then the rain came. It didn't last very long, but as we're sitting there, we were watching American Horror Story, the one on the Witch Coven. Pretty interesting. Lights go out. And I just sit there, you know, wait. Because sometimes you know how it happens. The lights go out. It's more like a brownout than a blackout. Flicker, flicker. Lights come back on. That type of thing. Well, about 30 seconds go by. Flicker, flicker. Lights come back on. Lights go back out. Almost instantly. About another 30 seconds by, flicker, flicker, lights come on, lights go out. About another 30 seconds, flicker, flicker, lights out. A couple minutes go by, nothing. I just sit there in the dark with the wife. Okay, time to get up, grab a, grab the phone, turn the flashlight on the phone, go get the flashlights we have set up for this situation. 
get some artificial light going in the house and uh, wait about 10 minutes and check the uh, Encore thing and it says, hey, uh, your, your power will be back on by midnight. Okay, and you're going to piss in my boot and tell me it's raining. See, I've been through this game before. So, it's raining, it's pouring, the old man ain't snoring, out to the garage I go. We got a nice covered walkway, so I bring the generator just outside the garage, under the covered walkway, start running extension cords, get ready to power up the house, and right before I'm ready to grab the pull string on the generator, shoop, lights come back on. <laughs> I've been through this before, too. I'm not putting anything away, so don't put anything away, uh, except, you know, we do put the cords back outside and all, and power stays on through the night. That's the first time that story ended that way since I bought and invested in generators for my home. And that's what this episode's about, is why a generator or multiple generators, along with about 60 gallons of reserve gasoline, is probably the best prep you can make. And it absolutely is, at this point, the best prep I've ever made in my life. I've been a generator owner for a long time. I started doing a survival podcast in 2008. That's um, almost 13 years ago now. And I have owned generators for longer than that. <clears throat> right now I own three. A little one, a middle one, and a big one. And the big one was the one that was coming out first. And I got a lot of reasons for that. But a lot of you guys that listen to me are preppers, and you don't own a generator. I don't understand. I, I really am going to tell you that, specifically, the several years we lived in Arkansas and the eight li- years we've lived here, there is no prep. We've, re- we've relied on more than our generator, other than the blackout kit we keep in the house, which is like lanterns and flashlights and stuff like that, to go get the generator set up. Power goes out. Storms. We call, There's a thing called backhoe fade. You should be able to figure out what backhoe fade means, right? Some idiot on a backhoe dug up an electric line because he didn't pay attention to markings, or some idiot that was supposed to mark the electric lines didn't mark it, so the backhoe dug up the electric. Either way, your power's out. And where we live now, and where we lived in Arkansas, specifically, this was really important to us because we kind of lived at the end of a line. A lot of you guys live in the suburbs. If your power goes out, there's ways that interim, they can reroute power and get some or all of the people back up while they fix the thing over here and go back to there. When you're kind of rural a lot of times, like, you're at a terminal end. There is no other way that you can route power back into a system. And because of that... When your power goes out, it stays out for a while, usually. Last night it didn't. We've had days where they're like, yeah, remember I said about, I've heard that story before? Yeah, we had one, your power will be back on by 11 p.m. The next day they said, your power will be back on by 9 p.m. The next day they said, your power will be back on by 9.30 a.m. And they had finally told the truth. Now you guys know about Miyagi mornings. Usually it's at the Miyagi Pond. Today I got up late because it's a slow day for me and uh, I'm here in the shade where you can actually see me. But all those fish, they can go half a day without that pump running. They can't go two and a half days in the summer when that happened, right? So without a generator, I'm screwed. I have lots of meat stored in my deep freezers and chest freezers. That was very useful this year. When everybody's freaking out, oh, Kroger's is out of meat, Albert's is out of meat. I'm not out of meat. I have freezer full and another freezer full and another freezer full. And once a month, a giant box of meat from ButcherBox shows up at my front door. That was a good prep. But what good is that prep if you don't have a backup power system for your freezers? Now, many of you can get by with 
something like the Briggs and Stratton 4,500 watt generator that I recommend. That's all you need and then some. Uh, I have a 7,500 watt Troy built and I have two small generators. One's a little bit bigger. One's like a 2,000 watt and one's like an 800 watt. That 800 watt one will run all three of my big ponds from one place. There's a one cord I run, plug it in, leave it out in the second shop so it doesn't get wet in the rain, fire it up, plug that one cord in, cross connect two cords, boom, everything's back up and running. The big one runs anything I need to run in my house, plus my chest freezer. So what do you have a middle-sized one for? In case one of them breaks, yeah, two is one, one is the two is one, one is none, three is for me, and four is more. Five keeps you alive. I'm not quite the five generators, but I am the three, and I recommend you have at least one. And I also recommend that you take your generator out about once every three months, fire that sucker up, let it run for 15, 20 minutes, then put it away. And then you won't be like all the people in Hot Springs the time we went almost two weeks without power. We finally, when like the town started opening up again and all, because it's a huge ice storm, we went down and we were at Cracker Barrel. And there were people that were clearly at Cracker Barrel because they were miserable and at least they could be comfortable at the Cracker Barrel. And we listened to the conversations around us of how, pull the generator out and it had gas leaks. Pull the generator out and it wouldn't start. Pull the gener like so many of these people had generators that didn't work. So look, guys, I'm just going to tell you. In just the 13 years that I've been uh, doing the survival podcast, I haven't had to shoot anybody, so I haven't had to use those reserve bullets for much other than not having to buy new bullets. Um, we might have had to patch a few people up with some first aid, but that was usually due to their own stupidity. We didn't really have to use it for ourselves. Uh, most of the preps that we've made, they've been nice to have. The toilet paper and toiletries that we keep in reserve, all that, just made us not part of the panic this, this year. But the prep we've used... Over and over and over and over. This made us comfortable, happy, and literally saved the bacon and the beef in the chest freezers and the fish in the ponds. A good generator. They're not that expensive. And when you, when you hear 60 gallons of gas, you're like, well, that's a lot of gas. That's expensive. Buy a gas can this month. It's, a, it's November. Write an 11 on it in two or three places with a Sharpie. Fill it up with gasoline. If you feel really uncomfortable about long-term storage, throw some stability in it. Put it somewhere where it's safe to store gasoline. Next month, go buy another gas can. Fill it up. Write a 12 on it for December. Keep doing that. When you get all the way around back to November's 11, the next time you're going to fill your car up, take your number 11 gas can. Pour it in your car. Throw it in the back of your car or your truck. Take it to the gas station. Fill your car up. Fill the can up. Put it back. December, take the number 12 can. That way, over a year, you get to 60 gallons, and it's always rotated, and it's never that old. 60 gallons of gas in a generator or two will save your ass. With that, we've wrapped up this episode of Miyagi Mornings. I'll be back tomorrow with a special Thanksgiving edition. Well, good morning, folks. Miyagi Mornings, episode 9, Thanksgiving edition. And it actually, if you watched yesterday's edition, I'm wearing the same clothing, uh, holding the same cup. I'm in the same location because I ain't going to work tomorrow. But I did want to have an episode of Miyagi Mornings for you. And I wanted to talk, of course, about being thankful. And I think this year is a year that people can really miss how much they should be thankful for so many things. This is a shitty year. There, there is no, no way around it. Uh, for people that were prepared and prepared in ways beyond storing stuff. Even prepared beyond, like yesterday I talked to you about generators, but prepared from a standpoint of not only did we have the things that we need so we didn't have to be part of the panic buying back in you know March, April, May, and even into June, but we were prepared in that we evaluated our situation years ago and said, where do I want to live? And places like Pennsylvania, New York, and California, Oregon, and Washington were not on our lists. 
So we moved to states that already had more freedom, and we've kept more of our freedoms. I'm not saying that we've gotten through this untouched, but we kept more of our freedoms than many of y'all did in other states. We're not locked down, and we never were. Might have social distancing and stupid face diaper requirements that are or not uh, actually required, depending on where you're at and what store you're in or what restaurant you're in. But it, overall, we've been able to have freedom of movement and move around. Many of y'all haven't, and that sucks. The economy is teetering on the brink of disaster. I don't care that the Dow just hit 30,000. Are you supposed to be happy, thankful? I'm going to get to it. But I, I think we're looking at a massive real estate crash going into next year. Massive real estate crash. Um, I don't see any way out of that. There was now, you know, I did an article on why it was coming back in, I believe it was June of this year. And, you know, there's big articles came out this week about how they're expecting at least 750,000 foreclosures. That's not evictions. That's foreclosures in the first quarter of 2021, right after we had a real estate boom, which I also explained how that worked. So there's a lot of things about this year that are crappy, and there's a lot of things going into next year that are crappy. But you know what you need to be thankful for? Everything you should have and the opportunity you have to have more. Those are two things. Um, I know many of you have been separated from family, but you need to be thankful for the family that you still have if you did lose anybody. And I think you need to, from this point forward, don't let the government keep you from your family. You need to not only be thankful for your family, but how can you be thankful for that which you're not able to love and hold and be close to? And I know there's some people who have people specifically at risk, and that sucks, but a lot of you guys are being kept from your family out of fear. So what I'm most thankful for is I didn't let fear do this to me. That's my, my greatest thanks this year. I researched this virus and determined that it wasn't as big a threat as people said it was. I researched further and I developed my own preventive protocol, which everybody said, what do you know, you're just a redneck hippie duck farmer. And like a month after I put it out, uh, places like the East Virginia Medical School came out and recommended basically my protocol with a few additions that may or may not be necessary. And once I realized I had done everything I could to protect myself and my family, we went on with living. And that's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that when everybody was freaking out at the height of this thing back in April, oh, my God, what are you doing, Jack? You're taking care of your grandkids? We have pictures of us hanging out around the Miyagi over there listening to classic rock and teaching those kids about classic good music and that we enjoyed our lives. I am grateful that I didn't let this fear control me. Many of you didn't either. Be grateful for that. What if you did? What if you did? What if you even kind of woke up to this reality somewhere along the way now, but you let it take a lot of this year from you? Be grateful that you figured it out. Be grateful that you're not going to let this happen to you in 2021. Be grateful that no matter what they do, no matter how much they try to control you, you're not going to be controlled. What if you're not there yet? Be grateful that you can still make that decision. Be grateful that you can still make that choice. Be grateful that you don't have to be a drone. Be grateful that you don't have to be a pawn in this new world order. I know I said it wouldn't be political, and I'm not using the word new world order the way that a lot of the conspiracy people do. I'm using it simply as a descriptive term, a new way in which the world is ordered, i.e. the Great Reset, which is not a conspiracy theory. It's on the cover of Time Magazine last week, guys. No matter what they do, we are human beings. We have rights. Those rights are inalienable, and they come from our creation. I'm going to change the word from creator to creation. 
Because I don't care what your religious beliefs are. If you're Christian, you know who your creation came from. The Christian God. If you're Jewish or of the Islam faith, you believe basically in the same God. You have different views of them, but the same God. If you're a Buddhist, you have a view of how we come into creation. If you're from you know Native American indigenous origins and you have shamanic, shamanic faith, there is some mythology or some reality. We don't know who's right. I don't claim to know who's right of how you were created. If you're a deist like me, you believe there's some central intelligence to the universe that created this universe, and then this universe maybe manifested itself in us and other beings. If you are an atheist, well, they can't possibly believe in creation. Yes, they do. You were created as a human being through what you describe as a process of pure evolution. I believe that we are endowed with inalienable rights by our creation, regardless of how we got created. It doesn't matter. I know to some of you it matters very deeply. That's your spiritual belief. I'm talking about philosophical beliefs. I believe that all men and women have inalienable rights that we are endowed with through our very creation, no matter how it happened. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for those who are aware of this, those who will stand, those who will not cower in a closet on a day of Thanksgiving, but will spend it with their family. I know I'm going to. Now, we're actually going to spend our day with our family Friday. And we're not doing that because we're afraid somebody's going to kick in our door and give us a fine for having 14 people. We're doing that because of kind of some split family situations. If my family, if my son and, and, and daughter-in-law and my grandkids and everybody else was able to come to my, fam, my home on Thursday, they'd be here. I will not cower. I will not fear. And I'm grateful that whatever puts that spirit in a man's heart, put it in mine. And I'm grateful for every single person out there who maintains that same spirit, who refuses to cower from something you cannot control and chooses to live their life. I'm grateful for many other things, but I'm truly, this Thanksgiving, grateful for that. I hope you're spending it with people that you care and love about, whether they're family or friends, I don't care. And if you're not, if you're doing it because of circumstance, that's one thing. If you're doing it because of fear, give yourself something to be thankful for. Make changes, make adjustments. Thanksgiving is a date on a calendar. The spirit of Thanksgiving has no date. It's not too late. Do it Saturday. Do it next week. Do it sometime and enjoy your holiday season. With that, I'll be back to you tomorrow with another episode of Miyagi Mornings. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Miyagi Mornings. Episode 10 as we wrap up this week. Even though this is a week that I generally take off, I've made sure there was a Miyagi Mornings every morning. All five days this week as we wrap up, our, again, our second week. Remember, I put these videos together so you can share them with people, friends and family and associates who might be interested in some of the stuff we talk about but not quite yet ready for a 90-minute podcast or just if you enjoy having video experience as well. And we wrap them all up in the Miyagi Mornings Recap Podcast that will be due out tomorrow. Episode 2 of the Miyagi Morning Recap will be available on our standard podcast feeds, iTunes, Stitcher, all that good jazz. So, hey, the ducks are quacking back here, and uh, so I apologize for the noise, but this is real-world podcasting. The question today that I am uh, responding to uh, came to me at the email, jack at the survivalpodcast.com, put Miyagi Mornings in the subject line, and I will uh, try to get an episode done answering your question, was, what is LBC coin? How do I use it? What do I do with it? What's it for? 
what the heck is this LBC thing? Now, many of you watch me on YouTube, but I always say it's better on Odyssey because Odyssey is built on a blockchain. Odyssey allows you, if you want to, to tip me or other creators using LBC coin. And that is the main use for LBC coin is tipping creators or paying creators for paid content on either library.tv or odyssey.com, which really are kind of the same sites, but Odyssey is where all the new features are going going forward. Library itself is a blockchain, just like Bitcoin is. A blockchain first, and it's a token or coin second. So on the library blockchain, you can build applications, and there's also a cryptocurrency called LBC coin. That's what we're talking about today. So when you go to library.tv or odyssey.com, they're pulling content from the same place. Again, just all the new features and, and new fancy stuff are being built on the interface that is Odyssey. Again, where you can earn and spend library credits, which is, again, LBC coin. This is a cryptocurrency. If you don't know what a cryptocurrency is today, I can't explain that. But if you know what a cryptocurrency, it's just another cryptocurrency. The utility is that it works, again, on the library blockchain, and it was specifically developed to be a easy, fast way and low fees so that you could say, hey, Jack, I like that video that you did today. Here's five library credits, which right now would be 15 cents. It's about three cents a coin right now. The next question was, how do I find out what it's worth? Because if you get on Odyssey and you set up your account and you just invite people and watch content, they'll actually give you some. There's daily watch rewards, anywhere from a quarter to four credits, depending on how it works out that day. You get just for using the Odyssey platform, and then you can use it for other things. So, like, how do I find out what it's worth? I've got, like, a couple hundred of these things now. What, 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 how much is it worth? It's cryptocurrency. It trades on the open cryptocurrency market like Litecoin or Bitcoin or R or ARK or Ethereum or any other cryptocurrency. I personally use CoinGecko. It's my favorite site to look up the technical analysis uh, and the price history on cryptocurrency. You go there, you type in LBC, boom, there it is. Library credits, pull it up and take a look at it again. It was a little over three cents this morning. Most of the time I've been on Odyssey, it's been two cents. That means my earnings have increased by 33% by doing absolutely nothing. I am not a big-time speculator on low-cost altcoins, but when I look at altcoins, which is anything other than like Bitcoin, Ethereum, I always want to know why. What's the point? What does this do that Bitcoin Cash doesn't do? Or let's say R, because R is a privacy coin. What, what does it do that nothing else does? Well, what it does is it allows people to use the library blockchain and have a native currency for it. And the blockchain itself, with Odyssey built on it, becoming one of the most awesome video sites and content sharing sites there is on the Internet that's a utility. So, do I think that it's worth buying a whole bunch of it and speculating you'll be worth a bunch of money someday? No, I wouldn't do that. I will say this, since getting on Odyssey, thanks to you guys tipping me, thanks to referral rewards and things like that, I have about 14,000 LBC coins. Didn't do really much for them. Put the content on YouTube, it magically gets over there. See, this is why I said if you're a creator, you need to be on Odyssey. You see why? Because I'm sitting on... Four. So it's about 400 bucks. Now, in the same period of time... My YouTube earnings outpaced that by about three times. I made about 1200 bucks in YouTube ad revenue compared to 400 on Odyssey. Here's the thing. It's still 400 I didn't have. You see how that works? It's still 400 that I didn't have. Also, I have maybe a 20th of the subscribers 
on library that I do on YouTube. So with a 20th, I've earned a third. Do you see how that works? That's why this is a good thing. And people get pretty generous with tipping you, you know, five, ten library credits when they're two, three, four, even a nickel apiece, right? It, it's not that much money. So people are, tend to value content and tip you with it. That's why I love it. Now, how do I get my library into dollars so I can do something with it? Well, there's a couple things you can do with it. One, you can just trade it directly if people are willing to take it, like they're willing to take Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash or anything else. There are a couple ways to do this. One, in your Odyssey account. When you set up an Odyssey account, you immediately get an LBC wallet. It's right there in your account. You can click on it. You log in. You can see it. You can send and receive. And hopefully soon, U.S. customers will be able to buy directly on the site. Until then, the only other way, if you want some library credits in your account, go to an exchange like Bittrex. You can buy it for Bitcoin on the Bitcoin market. Transfer it over there to that wallet so you can tip your creators. Pretty simple. But for me as a creator, if I need, if I start wanting to rely on some of this money, and I want to convert it to a cryptocurrency that's more widely accepted or to U.S. dollars, I can transfer it over to my my uh, account on Bitrix or other major exchange, and I can exchange it into Bitcoin or to U.S. dollar Tether coin, or if I've done KYC, I can turn it into actual money and wire it to my bank account. It works like any other cryptocurrency because it's on major exchanges. It's liquid, meaning we can change it into something else. It's fungible. We can do something with it. We can buy stuff with it. It's real money. It's just a low-valued coin at this present time. Again, I'm not saying to go out and buy a bunch of it, but it has utility. There's so many coins out there that we're going to do this and we're going to do that. We're, you know, Library actually said, we're going to build this thing to do this thing, and then they did it. And they have a really great site, and it's working really well. And there are some limitations that it has yet, but... Man, Odyssey is a great site. It's only getting better every day. So I have some confidence in this. Right now, there's a uh, technical analysis that's done based on major traders in the industry. And LBC on CoinGecko is rated as a strong buy at $0.03 cents as of today, which is actually Wednesday this week. I got ahead of the curve so I could get content out for you through the holiday and actually take time out. So this could have changed by now. I don't necessarily buy because of that, but it is something that I look at when making a decision. Knowing what I know about library, if I didn't have any of it right now, would I buy some? Yeah, probably about three to $500 worth would happens to be how much I've earned as a creator in a few months. So I'm not going out to buy any. I'm going to keep busting my butt and earning it over there by putting out great content like this video. You sharing it and sharing the Odyssey version of it with your family and friends can help me do that. If you want to ask any questions about stuff, for Miyagi Mornings, you know what to do. Email jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com. Miyagi Mornings in the subject line. That wraps up this week. Hope I gave you a great deal of variety, and that's something else I'm trying to do. If you've sent in content, you're like, he didn't do mine yet, and I sent that jerk my content a week and a half ago. I'm trying to pick stuff so that every day is a little bit different. That way we keep it interesting, especially for those of you on the podcast listening to the recap. With that, take care. Hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. I will be back to see you on Cyber Monday. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Miyagi Morning Recap. Remember, I do Miyagi Mornings to create short and shareable content for your friends and family who may not be up to listening to an entire podcast. Each of these segments from today's show is only five to eight minutes long and can be shared as both YouTube or Odyssey videos. Links to the video files for each segment are in today's show notes. If you want to submit a question for Miyagi Mornings, just email jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com with Miyagi Mornings in the subject line. 
All subjects other than politics are welcome for this special series.